Well, good morning. I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 3. And as you're turning there and thinking about the Master's Corral coming tonight, I was reminded as they will be taking a love offering, I was thinking of my friend Ken Johnson, who is a good friend and uh, pastor, speaker, chaplain, and he told me one time, he said, Kirby, uh, I stopped going places for a love offering because they gave me a whole lot of love and very little offering. So I hope that's not true of us tonight. First John chapter 3, let me read verses 1 through 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Father, we ask for your blessing, your presence this morning as we look into your word. Thank you for this great hope. May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May your word go forth this morning and accomplish, Lord, whatever you desire. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in the Old Testament, you will be familiar with this. There's a fabulous passage of scripture found in the book of Exodus. It's a conversation that takes place between Moses and the Lord. Moses had received the Ten Commandments from the Lord and was coming down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony with him, written by the finger of God. And as he was returning to the camp, he sees Aaron and the children of Israel dancing and worshiping the golden calf. And Moses is angry. That's an understatement. He threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. The next day, Moses tells the people that he is returning to Mount Sinai to speak with the Lord in hopes of making atonement for their sin. And God tells Moses that he will punish the people for their sin, and we read that the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf that Aaron had made. And we see here that the Lord speaks with Moses in a very special and intimate way, and in a manner that is unique to Moses, a privilege that is not enjoyed by the rest of the nation of Israel. In Exodus 33, 11, it says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to a friend. And then we see Moses begin to pray to the Lord and intercede for the people. And he says to the covenant-keeping God of Israel these words, Now therefore I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And the Lord responds to Moses by saying, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses prays again, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we and I, I and your people may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord says to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. 
Moses was two for two. He was batting a thousand, feeling pretty confident. And so he has one more request from the Lord. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. Have you ever heard the phrase, you better quit while you're ahead? (laughs) This is where that originated, right here. The Lord replies to Moses' request with this response, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. This would be like asking someone, what do you do for a living? And they say, if I told you, I would have to kill you. How do you respond to that? You kind of go, well, how about those Orioles, you know? (laughs) Great weather we're having today, huh? How are the kids? But the Lord is gracious to Moses. And in Numbers 12.3, we read that the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And so we see the, the compassion of God here. The Lord understood his request that it was made in humility, that it was given with gentleness. And so the Lord does something for him. The Lord says to Moses, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The word back in the Hebrew is actually the word hindquarters. Even with a glimpse of the back parts of God, Moses' face began to shine because of his speaking with the Lord. And when Aaron and the sons of Israel saw him, the the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. And so we know that Moses had to put a veil over his face so that the people could approach him. The Lord said to Moses, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Fast forward from the book of Exodus, 60 books to the right, to the book of 1 John, where we are this morning in chapter 3, where we read in verse 2 these words, We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. John seems to be saying here, that we will see the Lord in all of his glory. How amazing that will be. Unrestricted access to God in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, and in all of his splendor. I'm from Indiana, and I hate to say this in the Baltimore area, but the Colts were my favorite team. Some of you over 40 or 50 probably are not happy with that because they were once here. But I remember looking for tickets one time for a football game and seeing some seats listed online as obstructed view seating. Like who wants to sit there, right, where you cannot even see the entire field, where the game at times is only a rumor. (laughs) And I thought about this, that there will be no obstructed view of the glory of God when we see him face to face. And that is our hope, amen? That is what got us up this morning, because Christ has died, he was buried, he was raised from the dead, and we too have this hope that we will one day be raised with him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. We have this hope that we will one day see Christ, and as Moses spoke with the Lord face to face, we will one day see the Lord's face and not be consumed. 
but we will live forever in his presence. And again, that is why we are here today. This is the reason for our hope. We have a hope in a future and personal resurrection from the dead. So how did we get to this place? How do we go from the Lord saying to Moses, no one shall see my face and live, to what we see here in 1 John, that we will see him just as he is. Something had to take place to allow us to stand in the presence of God, to see him just as he is without falling dead to the ground immediately. What has happened that you and I can have hope that we will one day see him face to face? Before that answer, let us turn to the authoritative God-breathed word written by the finger of God himself in 1 John chapter 3. And today I want to look at three aspects of hope. Three aspects of hope that are found here in 1 John 3, verses 1 to 3. Number one, I want to talk about the reason for our hope, and that is the love of God. The reason for our hope is the love of God. Verse 1, John says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. The reason that you and I can have hope today is because of the love of God. John begins this portion of his letter with a command. He says, see or look, behold. And I believe John here wants his readers to use their minds and consider how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. The root of this how great that we see here conveys the sense of from what country. In other words, where does such love come from? Because this is a love like no other. There is no greater love than the love of God. This is a love completely foreign to the human realm. Children, you may be here this morning and you may think, wow, my parents really love me. They provide for me. They care for me. They protect me. They love me sacrificially. And kids, you should think that about your parents, okay? Your parents told me. Make sure you (laughs) emphasize that. It's not true. Husbands, you may think, My wife really loves me. It is evident in how she serves me, even this morning, how she cooks for me. She cleans the house. She cares for our children. She does my laundry. She really does love me. Wives, you may think, my husband really loves me, and that is how you should think, because that is our job as husbands, to love our wives as Christ loves the church. And you may say, he works very hard so that we can pay our bills. He helps me with the children. He helps me with the house. He really does love me. But the love that a parent has for a child, the love that a wife has for her husband, the love that a husband has for his wife, pales in comparison with the love that God has for his children. And John here instructs us how to think about such love. Behold how great this love is. Look at how great the love of God for us is. John is saying meditate on it and don't ever forget it. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 25, it says, This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. That is hope. The hope of eternity. 
the hope that has been made possible by the love of Almighty God, by God the Father. How great is this love, verse 1, that we would be called the children of God. I remember years ago when Larry King had his talk show on CNN, and many times he liked to have religious panels, and John MacArthur would be a guest of those sometimes, and I remember watching one night, there was an evangelical, there was a Roman Catholic, there was a Muslim, there was a Buddhist, there was a spiritualist guy who believed in all religions, and they were trying to talk about religion and is there one way, and I remember the Roman Catholic priest on the show saying, talking about everyone on the panel, we are all God's children. No, we are not. Man was made in the image of God, made according to his likeness. But because of one man's sin, we are all born sinners. The Bible tells us we are separated. We are estranged from God. We are not his children. Instead, we are his enemies. John 1, 11 and 12, in John's gospel, he says, He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as did receive him... To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Only those who place their faith and trust in Christ become God's children. Jesus had a conversation with some Jews in John chapter 8 who were trusting in their ancestry to get them to heaven. They had gone on Ancestry.com. They knew that they were descendants of Abraham himself. And uh, they said, hey, And Jesus says to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. Then they said, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus says to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. And then he says to them, not trying to win friends or influence people, you are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. That is who each of us are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is who each of us were before we trusted in Christ through faith and faith alone. We were dead in our sins. We were subject to the evil rule of Satan. We were unable to change our dreadful condition. And we were children of wrath. But God. Amen. But God, because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. How great is this love? It is so great that God elected us for salvation before the foundation of the world. He chose us to be a part of his family. He predestined us for eternal life. And he adopted us as our children, as his children. God did something for us that we could have never done for ourselves. That is great love. From what country? That is a foreign love. That is a love that we have never experienced before. Verse 1 says here, and such we are. Not only are we called his children, but we are his children. We have been adopted. All the paperwork has been filled out. The judge has declared that we are children of God. I remember when we adopted Andre and we went to court to to make that final. And 
doing all the paperwork, all the home visits, all the meetings with with caseworkers. And that day finally came where the judge said, Andre now belongs to you. He is legally your son. And that was such a great moment. He even came down off the bench and got a picture with us. It was like, this is real. This is really happening. Well, all the paperwork has been filled out. It's been signed with the blood of, the, of Jesus Christ. It is official. We belong to him. And we can call him Father, Abba, Daddy. And he calls us his sons and daughters. So John here says, think about this great love. Meditate on it. Do not take it for granted. Never forget how much God has loved you. In Matthew 7, 21 to 22, there in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Friend and fellow believer in Jesus Christ, because of the great and foreign love of a gracious and loving father, these are words that you and I will never hear. That's amazing. That is awesome. And John finishes this part by saying, for this reason, in verse 1, the world does not know us because it did not know him. The people of this world are related to the world, just as we were once related to the world, but now we are related to God. And therefore, the world does not know us. There is no spiritual relationship between a believer and a non-believer. And that is the reason the world cannot and does not know us, because it does not know God. Earlier in this epistle, John writes these words, chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We once belonged to the world, enjoying its pleasures, indulging in its lusts, but then we received our transfer papers. A transfer from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son all made possible by the indescribable and unfathomable love of God. And that love is the reason for our hope that we will one day see God face to face. Secondly, I want to talk about the reality of our hope. We will see him. The reality of our hope, we will see him. Verse 2. Beloved, Now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Don't you love? I love 1 John because I love the confidence with which John writes. Throughout this great epistle, we will see him. Not might, or there's a good chance. We will see him. Count on it. 
it will take place. And the world thinks that our hope is a false hope. The world thinks we are crazy for getting up on a Sunday morning, Sunday fun day, right? A time for you to sleep in and do whatever you want. The world thinks we are crazy for coming to worship God. But our hope is based on a promise from a God who is faithful and true. It comes from a God who cannot lie. And John says here, beloved, now we are children of God. Beloved, isn't that a great word? A tender reference to those who are loved by both John and by God. We are presently his children. 1 John 5, 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. It's a pretty good thing to be a child of God, especially when you remember that there was a time when we did not belong to him. We need to all remember and dwell on the fact that we were his enemies. Paul called us children of wrath. And because of his glorious gospel, we have been made to be at peace with God. We have been given the right to call him father. And we have been given the privilege of coming to him boldly and directly in prayer. This is great. It is a cause for great rejoicing, but yet the best is still to come. Look at verse 2 again. He says, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. Donald Burdick in the Every Man's Bible Commentary says this, we do not yet have detailed knowledge of our future state. The glory of our future state is secure and for sure, but it truly is unimaginable. We can, we can try to imagine what it will be like, but we really cannot fathom what will be and how great it will be. And so we say, I can only imagine. Should be a song. <laughs> Maybe even a major motion picture. I don't know. <laughs> Currently, we are called his children. Today. Think about that. Right now, we are his children. And there's no other place we would rather be. But what will it be like to be in the presence of our God and Father? What will it be like to be united with the Lord Jesus Christ? We know that it will be absolutely incredible. But we really don't know what that will truly be like because our earthly minds just cannot comprehend that state of ecstasy. It is like David who said in Psalm 139.6, Such knowledge is too wonderful to me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. I remember when Matthew was just a few months old and our middle son, and he was doing some really fun and cute things. He was sleeping much better at night, for, and for that we were all thankful. And I remember thinking, even at an early age, my son loves me already. Because uh, when he would see me, he would get really excited. He'd be sitting on the floor, holding a spoon up to his mouth, and I would say, Matthew. And he would drop the spoon and begin to kick his legs and grin from ear to ear. And I don't know what it's going to be like the first time we see Jesus, but if I have anything in my hand, I'm going to drop it. <laughs> and I'm going to be smiling from ear to ear, and I may just kick my legs like crazy. Not really sure what I will do and what we will do. But there is one thing we do know. Look at what John says here in verse 2. He says, we know that when he appears, we will be like him. 
None of us have seen Christ. No one who is alive today has ever seen Jesus. But one day he is going to appear. None of us know the day nor the hour. But when that day comes, when Christ is openly displayed for all of his children to see, John tells us we will be like him. What will it mean to be like Christ? What does that truly mean? Well, it means that we will be perfectly holy as he is holy. No more sin. That's pretty exciting. We will have transformed incorruptible bodies just as he does. We will put on immortality and purity and perfection and absolute righteousness. We will be glorified. One look at Christ will transform us forever. We will not become greater than Christ We will not become little gods. We will not be equal to him and we will not be equal with him, but we will be like him. But he will continue to be supreme over all of his creation. Jesus says in Revelation 21, 7, he who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. We will still be his children. We will still serve him and adore him and worship him forever. Yet we will be like him. Reflecting his holiness and righteousness and having glorified and resurrected bodies. How is it possible that we will be like him? And John answers that question at the end of verse 2. He says, because we will see him just as he is. Paul told the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. To see God just as he is, to see the glory of God without being consumed in his presence. We must be made like him, seeing him face to face, not dimly, but in all of his radiance, not obstructed, but seeing him in all of his glory, will both will be both be the reason for our transformation and the proof of our transformation. Listen to these words from John MacArthur's book The Glory of Heaven. He says the whole person, body and soul will be made completely flawless. We can't envision it now, it doth not yet appear, but we will finally be holy and completely Christ-like. This is the very purpose for which God called us in eternity past to be conformed to the image of his son. And when we see Christ, we will instantly and summarily be utterly perfect, for we shall see him as he is. Heaven is a perfect place for people made perfect. Perfection is the goal of God's sanctifying work in us. He's not merely making us better than we are. He is conforming us to the image of his son. As much as glorified humanity can resemble incarnate exalted deity we will resemble our lord the utter perfection of heaven is the consummation of our salvation so the reason for our hope this morning is based on the love of god the reality of our hope is this we will see god thirdly our response to this hope is sanctification our response to this hope is sanctification Verse 3, John says, And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. 
It is so easy, isn't it, to get our eyes off of Christ, to get our eyes on our problems, our circumstances, upon the worries of this world. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Everyone who has this hope, a hope that is to be fixed on Christ alone, the hope of standing in his presence and seeing him face to face and becoming like him, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. If we have been saved, if we have placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation, we are born again. We are children of God. We are saved forever. Our salvation is complete. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, never to be taken away. Paul says in Romans 8, 29, And these whom he predestined, he also called, And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. I'm looking at many of you this morning. None of you are in a glorified state. And as you look back at me, I am not in a glorified state. But Paul wrote of this as if it has already happened. It is sure to come true. Our salvation and our future is secure in Christ. But now we are in this process that we call progressive sanctification, where each day I am becoming more and more like Christ. And you may say this morning, Pastor Kirby, I'm not where I want to be, and I'm not where I should be, but praise God, we can all say, I'm not where I once was. I am growing. I am being sanctified. I am progressing in my walk with Christ. I am being conformed to the image of of his son. Sanctification, that process that God uses in our lives to set us apart from the world unto God. It's kind of important to the Lord, as Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. It is not an option to be holy. It is a command. It is not an option to be pure. It is demanded by the one who is pure. Look at what John says here. He says, everyone, everyone who has this hope, everyone means everyone. It's without exception. It is without exclusion. Everyone who has this hope, this hope that we will one day see Christ face to face because we are recipients of his great love, because we have been adopted into his family, everyone in this category purifies himself. The grammar here suggests that those who possess this hope habitually and continually seek the purification of their lives morally and spiritually. It's what believers do. When Paul was in prison at Rome, he wrote a letter to the church at Philippi, one of those prison epistles. And as he wrote to them, 
He did not want to escape from prison. He didn't want his friends to bust him out of jail. This is what he wanted. Think about this. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Could this be said of you? Could this be said of me? Could this be said of us, of, of us as Hope Bible Church? Are we a people that are being sanctified? Are we a people that are striving for moral and spiritual purity? Are we a people that are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ daily? Everyone, John says, who has this hope does so. They purify themselves just as Christ is pure. If we do this, it's going to affect what we watch on television. It's going to affect what we look at when we are on the Internet. It's going to affect what movies we go to and what movies we rent or download or stream. I think that's all the categories. When we are alone, when we are in the privacy of our own homes. It will affect what we do when no one else is looking, no one else is around. And it will affect what we talk about even today as we leave this place and go out to lunch as family, as friends, and begin our week together. We cannot become like Christ when we sacrifice purity and holiness on the altar. He is our standard of absolute perfection and holiness, and our desire should be to be like him. Amen? Alan Culpepper in his commentary says, Those who hope for heavenly rewards but do not pursue righteousness have pipe dreams, not hope. Most of us that are here this morning, I would guess, are here because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. We believe that he was buried. We believe that he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. And great joy fills our hearts on this Lord's Day as we, knowing that we serve a risen Savior. Great anticipation fills our hearts knowing that one day we will be raptured, or if we go to be with the Lord before the rapture, we will be resurrected. Great hope fills our hearts today knowing that we will one day see our Savior face to face. And we have responded to this hope by singing today with all of our hearts. We have responded to this hope by sharing the good news with those around us, with family and friends and neighbors who do not know the Lord. And we have responded to this hope by a life of good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But God also calls us to respond to this hope with lives of purity, of holiness. It's for our good. It really is. When you turn your back on sin to be conformed to the image of Christ, you only miss out on guilt 
and misery and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, we become closer to the one who loved us with an everlasting love. And it is for the glory of God who receives all the glory and the honor that he so deserves. Let's pray. Father, today as we gather together as a local church, we do have hope. Lord, we believe because you made us believe. We were once dead in our sins. We were subject to the evil rule of Satan. We were walking according to the course of this world. We were children of wrath. And we were unable to change our dreadful condition. But God, because of your great love for us, your foreign love, a love unknown to the world, because of that great love, Lord, you have caused us to be born again. We who were once dead in our sin have now been made alive in Christ. By grace, we have been saved. Lord, we thank you for your immaculate unfathomable love that you have demonstrated to all of us who are in Christ. We thank you for the reality of this hope that, as John writes with supreme confidence, as he is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we will one day see God face to face. We can't imagine what that moment will be like. We don't know what we will do. But we do know that, Lord, in that moment, we will be like you. For we will see you as you are. Lord, as many of us would love that day to be today, for you to come back this afternoon to take us to glory. Lord, we don't know the day, the hour. We don't know your plan. We don't know your sovereign will in heaven. So God, I pray in the meantime, as you have placed us on this earth to be salt and light, that we would be pure that we would strive for purity, for moral purity, for righteousness. Everyone who has this hope does this very thing. So cause us, Lord, as a people to be holy, to be pure, to be righteous, to be unstained by the world, to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Lord, I pray that we would not fit in in this place, People would see us as weird and different, foreign, pilgrims, aliens who really don't belong here. May that be true of all of us. We love you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you don't call us to these things on our own, but you give us your Holy Spirit. You give us your word and you give us your people, Lord, to walk alongside, to do this together. We thank you for the community of believers We thank you for a local church like this where we can love each other and encourage one another toward love and good deeds. So, Lord, may we be a fragrant offering to you, a sweet-smelling aroma to you, Lord, as we leave even today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.